0: If you got a Bible, let's open it up to the book of Isaiah. So the rest of the summer for uh, our Congregational Midweeks, I'm going to do, uh, do a two-part series on holiness. Holiness. Tonight we're going to talk about the holiness of God, and in August we're going to talk about the holiness of God's people, amen? Um, why are we doing this uh, mini-series, okay? You know, I really believe uh, that we need to regularly visit this... Welcome back. <laughs> this topic... I thought Christine was on vacation. There she is. Uh, we need to regularly visit this topic as disciples. We need to visit this topic as a church... Because why do you think? Why do we need to go back to holiness uh, regularly? Any thoughts on that? Let's have a little little audience participation. Why do we think? Because we Because we wander, okay? Thought, Caleb? So like holiness like how close we are to God? Okay. So like how close we can be to God. Holiness is, is uh, absolutely, especially since Holiness is a result of being close to God. And so we really can't be holy unless we're close to God because He's holy, right? Uh, so absolutely. And our lack of holiness stops us from being close to God. Yep. Amen. Is there anything that, yeah, Phil, one more? It's not natural for us. It's kind of a All right. Okay. It's not, it's not natural. We definitely have a sinful nature that starts to take over. Um, what do you guys think about how unholiness works? How does it work? How do we, how do we grow, so to speak, in unholiness? Do, you think? Do, breathing. <laughs> do we decide, does unholiness come up to Kathy Moose? Hi, I'm unholiness. And I'd just like to introduce myself and I'd like you to become more like me. So what do you think? What would Kathy probably say? Get lost, right? I don't want to be unholy. I want to be holy. Is that how unholiness works? No. How does it work, right? It is it is stealth. It is sneaky. It is slow. It is a slow, and we don't know that we're slipping, do we? Okay? And if, if, and if you've been a disciple for very long at all, you know that there's times where you've kind of shaken up and like, Oh my, how did I get here, right? Um, And so we need to routinely, as a church, revisit this topic of of holiness and really check ourselves, really examine our faith, examine our heart. As a church, we need to regularly do a check, do a scan, and Allow some pruning, allow some cleansing of our soul. Are you with me there? And uh, um, the reality is, is, the world, raise your hand if you disagree with this. The world is constantly attempting to press onto our minds and our hearts, in our attitudes and our actions. It's constantly pressing us into its mold. And the reason that's true is because that's what the Bible says. Okay? I want to read to you Romans chapter 12. Romans. Okay? Romans. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, to present you and to present us as a body, to we present to God a holy and an alive sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a key uh, understanding of the world and of humanity in this verse. The, the understanding... The doctrine, the principles, is this. The world has its forces and it's trying to press you into its mold. And we all have probably seen at one time or another, I know for me when I was in industrial arts in eighth grade, we had molds and we put the material in there and we would pack the mold, right? And we would press that into a mold and then we'd take the mold off and there's the object, right? and in the same way, the world, the forces of evil are, are, have a mold. And we know what the mold looks like, right? We just got to read the newspaper. We got to listen to social media. It doesn't take long for us to pick up on the shape of this mold. But every moment, our minds are being pressed into this mold, attempted to be pressed into it. Our hearts, our attitudes, our actions There's a constant pull, there's a constant pressing, but what we know for sure is it's from the outside, because what's on the inside is hopefully a greater force, the Holy Spirit, that isn't allowing you to be pressed into this mold, but it's transforming you from the inside out into what? What is the Holy Spirit's goal to transform you into what? What's a few words? Holy into... And what does that mean? Holy, like you're, you're perfect? Like, we'll get into the definition in a minute. It, it's true, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Heart for God. Heart for God. Yep. Someone said over here. Like Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of holiness, the exact representation of our holy God, Okay. Uh, The wisdom of God is embodied in Jesus, uh, the nature of God, and so we are created in God's image or God's likeness, meant to also reflect the character in the image of God. So the Holy Spirit is also working on us, and whether we are being molded by the world or transformed by the Spirit is dependent upon our attitude, I believe, toward holiness, okay? And so... We have to examine this and visit this, all right. Um, The church throughout history, it was incredibly interesting to study church history because you see the imprint of the world constantly in every epoch. The church becomes like the world that it's in. Even in American history, Even in the history of the Restoration Movement, which is a relatively young 200-plus or so, approaching 250 years now, our history is so much like American history. It's scary. It's intense. It's incredible. Uh, A lot of racial things that went on in the world, you see it going on in the church. A lot of cultural things, looseness of the 60s and that sort of thing, you see it pressing into the church and we are not immune to that today absolutely so we have to real we have to be able to take off the glasses and look at them does that make sense? you in know in, in examine are we being, are we becoming more like the world or more like uh, Jesus? Um, the church slowly begins to adopt the world's Without an awareness of this and an intentional uh, prayer and working on this, the church slowly begins to adopt the world's attitude toward God, toward righteousness, toward sin, toward the people of God. So, for example, hang, hang on a second. Someone took it out of my bag. Okay, this past weekend, let's tell you about it. Star Tribune, Minneapolis Star Tribune, okay? Front page talks about all the churches, the the traditional denominational churches that are just dying and they're growing old and church after church building is shutting its doors because it's just old people and they're dying and dying and it talked about how Largely, society is just rejecting church. Our society is is thinking, I'm not becoming less spiritual. I just don't need organized religion. Does that make sense? And church is just getting further and further marginalized. I mean, if you got like a kid in sports, you know the battle of youth sports Sunday mornings. Back in the day, you didn't have youth sports on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Because that was church time, right? Because we go to church. Uh, that's not today. Are you are you with me there? So over time, and you have you have uh, the church. Or you have Christians taking on not the Bible's spirit or the Holy Spirit's attitude toward God or the things of God or the people of God. You have us taking on the world's attitude. And so, guess what happens? The church never will be overcome by the world. God has to just start over. And Revelation 2 and 3 make it very clear that if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. That means you can play church all you want, but you're not the church of the Scriptures. Does that make sense? So I think we need to be uh, constantly, um, not in a, oh, I'm freaking out because I'm insecure, but in a sober-mindedness that we are not above any of this, right? We're normal humans, and we better make sure that we examine our own holiness and these the, the culture pressing in versus the spirit transforming. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, this produces a, a numbing or a watering down of the scriptures, and it brings about subtle compromises that lead to larger compromises and begins to spread a culture of compromise in the church. This leads to death. This leads to individual death and church death. Therefore, we have to be reminded of the truths of holiness. So tonight, we're going to talk about the holiness of God. So before we talk about ourselves, nothing is going to happen with ourselves until we get the right, or at least refreshed, renewed, renew your mind, renewed mindset toward God. And every time I think about God's holiness, or study it out, or or preach on it, or whatever, I'm at a different stage in my life. I'm at a different age, and it means different things. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the nature of God, because we've never arrived. We're always a work in progress. So let's think about the holiness of God, and then we're going to think about the holiness of God's people and what that practically means for our church um, and the things that I, that, that I see that we're working with um, uh, and how, how, that, how that applies. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read a few uh, verses. We're going to watch a, a short video. You guys like the Bible Project? Have you ever heard the Bible Project videos? We're going to watch one of those on the holiness of God. And I think actually here a number of years ago we watched it. Um, and it just does a great job of describing um, uh, holiness. Uh, but I want to read first a few, few scriptures. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King uh, Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. There's two, two, there's just kind of two main times, not two main times. There are, we're going to talk about two of the main times that a prophet, you you get the the veil kind of, for them, it's kind of like, and you can kind of see behind the scenes okay this happened with Isaiah here and he saw God okay this happened here and anyone else kind of think of a time when the veil to the throne room was removed anyone taking our Revelation class remember the throne room chapter Revelation chapter 4 okay I knew you knew that Isaiah chapter 6 though so I want what I want us to listen is when when we when someone sees what's some of the first things that are out of their mouth and their response so I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his in the temple seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of God and of Jesus and of forgiveness and grace. But it starts with this understanding of the holiness of God. Now, when we write a paper and we want to emphasize something on our word processors and written thing, what do we do to in our language, what do we do to emphasize something? We embolden it or we italicize italicize it or we underline it. Any, any, uh, um, any things we do, (laughs) we, uh, anything we do after this sentence? Yeah, period, exclamation points, and then also multiple exclamation points, right? Or we can capitalize something, right? So there's a number of things that we do to communicate. In the Hebrew language, uh, here is what they did. They repeated things. Okay, so when Jesus said, uh, 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 "Truly I say to you," or "Verily, verily," and the word I learned is like "Amen, Amen," which means "Amen," right for us. Um, so when we hear something that we believe is true, we should say "Amen." Okay, that's a Jesus. "Amen, Amen." I say this unto you. Okay, I had one a the theology professor, and he was bald, and he would sit at the front of the class, and he would. Rub his bald head like this, and I'm like, man, that guy must be really smart. He has to massage it, just you know, to keep it under control or something. Or maybe that's what he was trying to make us think. But he would pray at the beginning of class, and then he would say, "Amen," and "Amen." It's just epic. But, uh, but uh, "Amen" and "Amen." I was like, so I started saying "Amen" and "Amen" from that point. Anyways, uh, so holy, holy holy. There is no other attribute of God that is repeated like this. Never does it say God is love, 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 or goodness, goodness, or justice, 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 or grace, grace. holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, So as soon as Isaiah sees the holiness of God and everything starts to happen, the shaking, the smoke, and, you know, it's very dramatic, then what is his first thought about himself? I'm in trouble. He didn't think that through. He didn't just do his sin list, you know. He just knew, right? In the presence of God, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And every single human, once they start to see God, if they're actually seeing God, the only response is, woe is me. I'm ruined. I no longer think of myself as, hey, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I kind of deserve to be here because I'm not as bad as those other bad kids. I really appreciated Carter's journey share. Carter, if you missed it, you need to go back and listen. I'm not saying it because of my son. It was a great progress of how the Spirit took him from this good kid to a desperate need for Jesus. And that's the work of God. That's not the work of Carter. That's the work of God. Amen? Uh Amen. Um, the tough part was getting carter to understand that <laughs> but this is isaiah but then and we've all we've all hopefully we've all had this moment and what are we afraid of we are afraid of god's wrath rightfully so but what does god do he wants he sees our impurity but he wants to be close to us even in our sins and so he provides a way. He takes the coal and comes and presses it on their lips. And it's, and it's obviously symbolic of taking away the sin, the iniquity, and et cetera. And of course, it's a picture of what? God sending Jesus to handle the problem that humanity faces. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? I, I, we could spend many, many sermons. Um, so this is just scratching. But I want to go now to Revelation 4. I want you to listen if, to any similarities of once again the veil being taken back. Revelation 4, verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. After these things, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and he was sitting, was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads." Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Have you ever had a a time where a thunderstorm's been close? And you see the flash, and you know it's going to be big. And then, and just everything just shakes. What does every human think at this moment? Whoa. Oh, and most times people will say, oh, my God. Now, they may not be saying that in the truest form of worship, but it's interesting even what humans say. Whenever there's trouble or danger or something awesome, every human's tendency is to say, oh, my God. I don't think that's ironic. Um, Out from the... say we read that. And there were seven lamps of burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes, front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, second like a calf, third had a face like that of a man. Fourth creature was flying like an eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around. And within. and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is to come. What that means is that the world changes, but God doesn't change. So if we're going to be holy, we got to go back to the beginning and look at what holiness looked like, right? And it's our job to transform into that and make sure we're not being pressed into the world's idea of what God is or isn't. Okay? Um, so just a few few things. but first time you see God, holy, holy, holy um, the holiness of God. and uh, um, let's go ahead and watch this video and then uh, we'll look at we'll talk about a few more things.
1: You've probably heard the word holy before or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person so God is holy because he's morally perfect.
2: Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique at least within our solar system and it's really powerful as the source of all this beautiful life on our planet and so you could say that the Sun is holy and you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the Sun is also holy.
1: Yeah because the closer you get to the Sun the more intense it gets.
2: Yeah exactly so that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground.
1: And Moses covers his face in fear and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's
2: intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place. It's the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you are an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you are in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah,
1: this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work?
2: Well in the Bible the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah and that's easy enough to understand but the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity being ritually pure which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the
1: rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy
2: creature called a seraphim.
1: Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs)
2: Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness, he's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream, and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive.
1: So, instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life.
2: What does it all mean? We don't know until we meet this man Jesus and he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions but in surprising new ways so Jesus he went around touching people who are impure people with skin diseases a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people and when he touches them their impurity should transfer over to Jesus but instead Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple. So that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. but. Where is this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life.
1: We believe the Bible is one complete narrative, so we're making these videos to trace a thing that yeah. goes. Um, that's the
0: uh, the Bible project. And um, there's a there's a study guide on holiness here that uh, I have. It's really good. It goes into these things, but a little bit deeper. And uh, um, you can I have one here, so whoever is first up after the lesson can get it. Um, or you can download it there, or I can send it. I can send a link out. Would you guys like that? Yeah. I want to send the link out, or Nicole or I send the link out tomorrow. So that's pretty cool, huh? You guys like that? That's they do a great job, I think. And I think a lot of, for the most part, I think they're pretty, pretty good, um, you know, theologically. So I want to just talk a little bit about um, what does it mean, what does holiness, the God's holiness mean? And what does it mean to profane God's holiness, which is the command, the opposite? And what does God's holiness demand? And we're going to try to do this in about five to ten minutes. (laughs) Okay? Um, So holiness, purity... The word holy can mean set apart, and um, there's a, p- a purity or a perfection, an absolute perfection implied uh, with the word uh, holiness. And what I like to think about is this, this attribute, this holy, holy, holy of God, in a way describes all of the other attributes of God. So God's love is perfect and pure. So, we don't have a love like that. Our best attempt at love is tainted with impurity, impure motives, etc. Does that make sense? Um, but God's love is absolutely pure and perfect and can never be impure, can never be tainted or off. Oh, his goodness for you, His sovereignty, His omniscience, His om- omnipotence, His His kindness, His justice. So His justice is absolutely holy. Um, There's no injustice with God. And that's why people worry about judgment day and all this kind of thing. This is a person Christian or this person not a Christian. What I go back to is, listen, God is the judge, and He's a pretty good one. And no one is going to walk away from judgment day feeling like, I got a raw deal. They're going to be like, yep, that's actually true. I just didn't think anyone knew. Right? Um, So all his attributes are in absolute perfection and purity. Now, profane, let's look over in Leviticus real quick. Um, The word profane means to defile or to pollute or, and this is one of the slipperiest things, to make common, to make common. So in other words, we have the holiness of God. But what Satan does is he gets us to to profane God. Not by just I used to think profanity was just swearing. Right? That's not, <laughs> well, I haven't profaned to God. If when we make holy things common or ordinary, then we profane God. One of the easiest ways I think we can be tempted with that day in and day out is with the holy word of God. How often do we prepare ourselves to approach the word like Isaiah and John approached the throne of God? Because these are God's holy word. Versus, we. Here we go. Here we go. Right? And that's actually profaning something that's holy and making it just kind of commonplace. Um, That's just an example. Leviticus 21. Uh, Yesterday, I was watching Carter play uh, basketball in the summer league, and I was sitting behind the bench, and the coach yelled out for him to come in. He goes, Pede, get in there. And I just hadn't heard one of my kids You know, kind of like I wasn't there, like, you know, like they're just another normal person. Hey, Pete, get in there. And I thought about, whoa, that was kind of weird. And, uh, but then I thought about Carter as Pete. And after the jokes about going to the bathroom, (laughs) ha, 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 you know, you see him out there running around and playing basketball. And he, in a way, is representing the Peds, isn't he? And so when he complains to the refs and whines and moans and, you know, walks up the court when he should be, what does that do to the name, right? It creates an impression of not honorable, right? Whereas when he goes out there and he plays like Jesus would play, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but he plays like Jesus, then what does he do? He brings honor to the name. And, and, and listen to this in Leviticus 21, uh, verse 6. It says, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. So not profaning the name of God. Chapter 22, verse 2, says, um, it says, um, let me find it. Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. So the gifts, for example, are holy. Be careful what you do with them, priests. And when there were certain priests that did profane the name of the Lord by misusing the gifts or misusing their role, what happened when they went in to offer? It was the holiness that of God that just consumed them because they came into the presence of God in an impure state. Okay? It's not like God's like, I hate you, wrath. It's it's just the fact that God is holy means that anything unholy in his presence will be extinguished. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to become a Christian. Because someday I'm going to go into the presence of God. And I'm not going to do well based on my own track record. But I will do well based on what? Based on Jesus' track record. Amen? Um, so I can have all the confidence in the world if I'm in Christ and becoming more holy, but I should have no confidence whatsoever outside of Christ. That's why when we, when we know someone's not a disciple, but then we say, ah, I don't know. Oh, maybe. It's just not dealing in reality. We don't, we don't want to be that way, but we have to tell the truth. Okay? Um, 22, verse 32. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. The word sanctifies is a fancy word for becoming more holy. Becoming more holy, okay? Um, So what we do when we talk about God, do we honor the name of God or do we profane the name? The name Jesus, those of us who wear the name Jesus as disciples, Do you honor that name by how you live and act? Or do you dishonor it by choices that you make? The name Christian, what does that mean? What does it not mean? God's people. As God's people, do we profane God's name by calling ourselves God's people? Or do we honor His name? Church. How do we treat church? It's an opportunity to profane the name of God or to honor it. Okay? So the holiness of God, a few demands that this presents. Number one, the holiness of God demands worship. Worship, reverence, uh, a basis of grace, and to be filled with sanctification or transformation into God's holiness. That's what holiness, the holiness of God demands. So, worship, we we immediately see Isaiah hit the deck, right? Worship. Revelation, worship. You cannot see God and not just worship. Um, Worship is not something you come to on a Sunday morning to sing a song. It's your response to the holiness of God. All the time. All the time you're worshiping. Does that make sense? By how you think, how you live, choices you make, things you confess, or things you keep hidden, that's your worship of God. Okay? Psalm 29, verse 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Isn't that cool? Worship the Lord in holiness. Uh, A few practical comments on, on our worship. Uh, When we do come to corporately worship together, be prepared to worship God. Don't just come to church all fluttered and flustered and, you know, prepare yourself. Have a quiet time. Think, I'm going to worship a holy God. I'm going to sing to God. I'm going to go listen to God. I'm going to go to fellowship with the people of God. When we come in late, when we come in, we we treat church as an option or if I got nothing else going on, et cetera, et cetera, we profane a holy God because of how we treat God's people in God's worship. Does that make sense? Uh, um, Be prepared, be early, be wholehearted in your singing. You know, I like to go back in the back sometimes and listen to how we're doing as a church in our worship. I think that's part of my job, my responsibility. And, boy, sometimes I get really concerned. Because three-fourths of the church, a lot of times, isn't even singing. And we're all and raptured by Jake and Catherine. And, oh, we love the bass player and the sweet, good, you know, drummer. But let's not bother to actually sing. Well, I don't have a good voice. Stop. That's not the heart, right? Well, I don't know the words. Look at the screen. Well, they messed up the screen. Say some, something. <laughs> okay, so this isn't a worship class, but we always got to, how are we doing, right? What kind of gift are we offering to God? Is it one that honors his name or profanes it? Um, fellowship. Phones away in the fellowship. Fellowship. It's not worship. If you got a teenager, and you see them on their phone, you kick that thing out of their hand and say, get this out of here. Get behind me, Satan. I don't know. I don't, I'm obviously exaggerating. But I'll walk by back there. Get off your phone. They're not even my kids. Get off your phone. This is church. Because they kind of are my kids, spiritually. Right? Get off your phone. Go fellowship. When people sit in fellowship, and, at, and, at, and everyone's talking and encouraging one another, and we're sitting like this. Hey, get off your butt and go fellowship the church of God. That's a holy, a holy thing. Don't treat it that way. Well, I wait for people to come to me. No one comes and talks to me. Who made you Jesus in God that everyone should bow at your feet? You go, you go talk to them. Right? Okay. Um, amen. Okay, that's worship, reverence. You see reverence, right? The holiness of God, instant reverence. I need to wrap it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, reverence. Reverence for fear, trembling, shaking in our boots because of who God is. The Word of God, trembling before the Word of God. That's whom God esteems. The commands of God. When God said, this is a sin, don't argue with it. You don't argue with the fact that the Bible says this is wrong, and think, I think I got a better way. You're playing with fire. That is not your role before a holy God. Do you see Isaiah seeing God? and saying, well, I think this is wrong, but this isn't too wrong, God. That is not the spirit we see with Isaiah or John or anyone else who comes into the presence of God. And if you're playing that game, you're only gonna, it's only going to get worse for you. Um, don't let the world define what's okay and what's not okay. Well, everyone else does it. I could give a rat's behind what everyone else does. Let's care about what God says is right to do and what's not right to do. Amen? Um, the Spirit of God we treat with holiness. Holiness. And the Spirit of God is prompting you, convicting you, encouraging you, comforting you. You don't treat that as, oh, I'm just, you know, maybe it's just my thought. No, it's the Spirit of God in you, and you know it because it's consistent with the Word of God and the fellowship of God. And everything around you is pushing you in a certain way, and you're just kicking, kicking against the goats. Man, it's just hurting. You're just hurting yourself. Okay? Um, The people of God treated with reverence. The assembly of the people of God. Sunday morning, Bible talk, D groups. We are to revere that because it is of God. It is holy. It is divine. It is sacred. And how you treat the people of God is how you treat God. Don't be fooled. Okay? Uh, number three, it demands anything before God is on the basis of grace. So the, the only basis we have to stand before God is what is it in ourselves that merits our standing before God? Nothing. Your discipleship does not merit God's favor. Only the grace of God is the foundation. The coal didn't come from Isaiah's back pocket of his offering that week. Um, Take this. Is this enough? So you ever get in the mindset of doing enough or is this enough or do I need to do more to earn God's favor? Well, that whole mindset is the book of Romans where it says we're depending on something within ourselves to offer to God acceptable now? No, the righteousness comes from the throne of God and humbly we just receive it. That's based on grace, not on merit. Now wait a second, you just said I had to not sin in order to be worthy of God. I didn't say that. <laughs> I say that out of a reverence for the holiness of God, we want to not sin, but not out of a, earning a status before God. Amen? Amen? It's super important to, under, to get that. That's called getting the book of Romans because you stop relying on yourself and you rely on the, who God is for your security in your righteousness. You know, the holiness thing is good, I would adjust one thing where it says Jesus instead of Jesus taking impure he gave holiness. He actually I believe he actually did take their impurities. And he took them to the cross and paid the price. That's why he was able then to give his righteousness. So your righteousness is not about how how good of a person you are. It's about Receiving Jesus' righteousness. Amen? Um, and your unrighteousness transferred to Him. And that leaves us in a posture of humility, amen. of poor in spirit, of brokenness. So don't we don't stand before God. Look at me, good disciple. Yeah. We walk in the church like this. Yeah, man, I'm quiet time every day this week, doing good. Yeah, that's not... That's, a, that's, a, that's short-lived <laughs> because it won't take long for you to walk into church needing only the grace of God. And then filled, so you understand that? A, it demands a basis of grace. So the holiness of God demands a basis of grace. So, so go think about it. Um, a posture of brokenness, and it results in a deep security in him with a zero confidence in self. Um, and lastly, we're filled with and transformed into God's holiness. So Peter says, be holy as I am holy. Hebrews 10, 14, uh, one of my favorite verses. Um, we're, while we're made perfect by one sacrifice. We're made perfect while we're being made holy. So that's confusing. How can I be perfect in being made holy at the same time? That's something you've got to work out emotionally if you're gonna be able to have peace in your life. But you've gotta be able to accept both. You've gotta be able to accept you have been made perfect and you've gotta be able to accept and I've got a lifetime of transformation in front of me and I'm okay with that, amen?